0: all right here we go okay
1: excitement enthusiasm (laughs)
0: everybody ready to hear me talk about myself for an hour
2: do we want to try to do the soft opening right now
0: i thought we just did oh okay All right, hey, everybody. Welcome to Pulling Threads. Welcome to episode two whoop, whoop. of Pulling Threads. We have an episode out yeah. there. Hopefully, hopefully, everybody got a chance to listen to Cliff's episode. Hey, Cliff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, hey. Yeah, that's one <laughs> yeah. response. To me, Cliff. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> President.
2: I, I, like, I thought, yeah, I thought you were like, hey, Cliff, like you had a question for me.
0: No, it was more like a, hey, Cliff, like, How's how are you doing?
2: Nate, what is your podcast pairing today?
0: okay podcast pairing today for my episode (laughs) megan's idea she gets all the credit for podcast pairings uh my my podcast would pair well with a shot of bourbon um blanton's if you have it uh if you don't four roses also good you can go either end of the spectrum there any kind of ipa just not a not a hazy those are those Mm. are done we're we're over hazies uh (laughs) And then a baked potato, like loaded up with whatever you normally put on a baked potato. Megan, what do you put on baked potatoes?
1: Oh, Good question. It just brings me back to high school days when I'd go through the baked potato line and put weird crap on my baked potato. I used to put like, it was like, what did they have? I put bacon bits, cheese, sunflower seeds, and ranch dressing. (laughs) That's a high school I mean, those
0: all sound good.
1: It tasted good at the time. Yeah,
2: that's interesting.
0: Cliff, Cliff, your baked potato.
2: I, I heard somebody say one time that it's better for you if you put lots of butter because it, it helps <laughs> the starch go through your system quicker. And and I ran with it. <laughs> so no, I, I I like everything: sour cream, chives, bacon bits, butter, and and more butter, good barbecue call. sauce. Uh, uh, what do you call it? The sh- the the pork, the shredded pork, pulled, pulled pork. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Uh, pulled pork. And uh, yeah, yeah, I like a good baked potato. Nice. All
0: right. Yeah. Good. Yeah. So, a uh, couple of uh, loose threads to tie up here. Did you get? Did you guys hear what I, I did, did there with loose threads? Because <laughs> we're Cliff. The joke is that we're pulling threads. The podcast. Uh, and boom, 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 said,
2: boom, 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 boom.
1: Was that a drum? <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, if you have any feedback for us, any questions for us, uh, please email. We'd love to hear from anyone listening, especially as we're developing this podcast and trying to get better at it. Uh, we'd like to hear what people think. And so our email address is
1: pullingthreadspodcast, I knew you were going to go to me, pullingthreadspodcast at gmail.com. There you go. Or you can go to our website, check us out on IG, DM us, tag us. No.
2: <laughs> Megan, what if they have um, a their own sweater that they've been pulling of threads what what can they do yes
1: if you have your own sweater you can do any of those things get in touch with us email us but we also have a button on our website that is linked in our instagram profile um where you can click on it and we have a little google form where you just kind of give us a little preview of your story so even if you don't want to share on the podcast we still would love to hear your story or just know that you're out there so our website is pullingthreads.captivate.fm.
2: And so, look for the link that says uh, share your sweater or... Yes,
1: it says tell us about your sweater. There you go. Okay, so tell us. We'd love to hear from you. Okay, today is Nathan's episode, Nathan's Sweater. Tell us a little background about you, Nathan.
0: So I was, I was, I was thinking about this you know, how do I describe my sweater? And five letters come to mind first, SBCPK. So I I grew up in the Southern Baptist Convention. (laughs) (laughs) I grew up in the Southern Baptist Convention and I was a preacher's kid. And both of those, both of those, you know, the SBC and the PK part, I think factored pretty heavily into uh, my childhood. And so I think it was a very typical Life growing up as a minister's kid in the Southern Baptist Convention, which was all I knew. You know, it's all you only know your own world when you're a kid, and that's all I knew. I didn't realize later, until later in life, that even even people's evangelical experience can vary depending on denomination yeah. and that kind of thing. The SBC is a, a you know a very particular world, uh, and that's the world that I, I grew up in. So church, since since dad was on staff at churches, he was usually uh, an associate pastor uh, or minister of education, whatever whatever title he had. It was uh, it was like the vice pastor role is normally what my dad my dad did, and it meant church was kind of an extension of our house. So we were there a lot, always in the building, even on the off days. And if you grew up with a, a dad who worked uh, a dad or mom who worked in a church, then you kind of know what I'm talking about where that's. I mean, that's just your parents' workplace, but you end up spending a lot of time there. So Sunday morning, Sunday nights, obviously uh, Wednesday nights.
1: You know all the secret passageways. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Have you thought about that? Like I was thinking the other day, if I got to go back in my old church, I feel like I would, I would know where everything was.
0: <laughs> yeah. So in in uh, when I was in middle school and high school, there we knew this passageway it was behind the choir mm-hmm. room. Uh, through this utility closet, like past the boiler. And then there was this old rickety wooden ladder you could take and you could go onto the roof <laughs> yep, of the church. And it was, we would go hang out up there. Yeah, it was cool. And I, I wonder if that's, you know, still, can you still find that? I was going to ask uh, if
2: you've visited your childhood church um, anytime recently.
0: So we had several, we had several oh. um, since, yeah. you know, dad moved around quite a bit. I think my dad's uh, funeral was the last time I was in one of the churches that I grew up in, and that was in uh, in Mississippi. So yeah, that was the last time. So because my dad was a minister and we were there so much, I was pretty much involved in all of the SBC stuff like uh, that a kid can be involved in, like the competitive Bible drill team. I was an RA. Uh, Megan, were you a I GA? I was, yes. Were you a girl in action? Girls uh, in so action, I, I w- <laughs> girls,
1: don't make me sing that song. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh no, you just did uh we um yeah we were the royal ambassadors the the boy which is like it's basically baptist boy scouts yeah. right yeah. uh there were badges we could earn and we did pinewood derbies and all of that uh you know by, by high school i was super involved in the youth group and went on went to all the camps in the summer the fuge camps centrifuge mission fuge uh all of those and then
1: did you have a cool um, like youth group name Like, not your was our youth group named something. Can you remember what your youth group was called, or like when you met on Wednesday nights, did it have a name?
0: Oh man, I'm sure it did. I don't remember (laughs) what was yours.
1: I think ours switched a few times. I remember at one point it was called the Lighthouse.
2: Mm, That's a common
1: one.
0: They had focus groups for those names. Yeah, (laughs) Uh, yeah. That okay. That reminds me of this story. When I was in middle school. And I guess this story is kind of emblematic of that whole period in right my there. life. When I was in middle school, we were in Tennessee at a church and the youth minister, he was younger, probably early 20s at the time. And then this college kid who worked with him during the week while people were at school, they would pick a random kid in the youth group and go into their room uh-huh. while they were at school. The parents uh-huh. would let him into the house and they would videotape it and they would go through the room and they would go through drawers and everything. And that then, sounds uh, really familiar it's super invasive yeah I don't think they would get away with it now and and there was one particular time where and they would be like this is your room and then as they're opening the door they would say that person's name and then they would just go through the room and and show it on Wednesday night and uh so my friend one of my friends in middle school his name was Mikey at the time and Mikey they go into Mikey's room and I spent a lot of time over there I would usually spend the night at his house uh probably two or three times a month you know uh, and they go into Mikey's room and they're looking around and they pull up this little tape recorder and I'm sitting there watching and in, in Mikey's room up to that point, I was like, you know, I was okay. And then they pick up that tape recorder. I was like, oh, oh no, oh, gosh. I was like, please no. And they hit play and it was me, uh, doing ice ice baby <laughs> acapella the entire song and they let it play. And it was Could they tell could people
1: tell it was your voice?
0: One hundred percent. Yes. Oh, it was awful. Well, yeah. good
2: lord. As funny as that story is, that is yeah. horrible.
1: Were you traumatized? Goodness. Yeah.
0: That. Uh, yeah. That's a lot. I remember. I, I remember them doing that three or four times after that for a long time. <laughs> Unfortunately, no.
2: Okay. I'm wondering uh, if this this also means that when the parent knows ahead of time that. This group of people are coming to ransack your room. Do that the parents
0: sh- go in and clean up a little?
2: Well, and make sure that there's nothing that could be embarrassing. So, well, I figured- a whole yeah. generation of kids who thought they were hiding something from their I don't know.
0: Yeah.
1: The video probably yeah, wasn't it- live though. So, no, I wonder it wasn't what live. They had so to make- cut out.
0: <laughs> prim- primitive editing skills right? back in the day, though. You know, <laughs> you would just have to. It's like stop, eh. rewind, record again.
2: Well, I am very happy that my life was somewhat sheltered from that kind of thing because I'm now I'm wondering if they did that, would I have been outed? Oh, <laughs> because there may have been some things that they could have come across in my bedroom that might have.
0: Bonus episode uh, of this uh, podcast coming up yeah. midweek. Um. Uh, uh, so oh, you know, gosh. youth group for me like that was a uh, that was it. Um, I you know I played football in high school and. I would, uh, I would tape my, my shoes and I would draw a cross on one the one foot and then write a Bible verse on the other foot, you know, that, that kind of thing. So I was super into it. Um, by the end of high school, I'm reading like Max Licato books and, right, early Salvation experience when I was a kid and then that was just, that was my life and that was a huge part of who I was, that was a huge part of my identity. Goes into college and I'm still very active in the BSU, uh, the Baptist Student Union. At school, and and I'm beginning to uh, kind of form my career plan. It has nothing to do with school. I was a terrible student, both in high school and at uh, in college. But I didn't think it would affect me at all because I was planning on uh, going into the ministry. Youth ministry was going to be the thing that I did, and so that was my plan. And so I wasn't worried about much in college because I was like, I'll take care of me, and you know, I'll have a job. If things are going to work out. I'll have I'll have something provided for me. Um I had a very sincere and earnest faith. You know, I think like everybody does you look back and you regret certain things that you did, people you yeah. hurt, stupid things you said, but but overall toed the, towed the Baptist line I think for most of most of high school and and most of college.
1: I guess I have a so, question. Okay. Um you know, you said your faith was like your identity and your faith were pretty much one in the same as kid growing up and you, and maybe you don't want to answer this for them. I don't know. But like, did you feel like your siblings were in the same place as you?
0: I did. And I always assumed my friends were as well. Yeah. Like it was just kind of the norm. And I just thought we're all, you know, everybody yeah. here in this youth group is taking, is feeling, you know, like this is a, as much a part of who they are as, as and I think growing up as a minister's kid you get a, a skewed view because what's normal to you is you know church is your life I mean church was actually our paycheck you know and so yeah. it, like it really was our life and I think you don't realize until later that oh there are some people that they just come to this place and it's kind of compartmentalized right yeah. but for us it there were no there were, those lines were blurred between like our our normal life and our church life it just was totally you know, what, yeah yeah, so I would say my sweater was a uh, pretty standard typical Southern Baptist evangelical in the South uh a sweater. Um that's how I grew up and yeah.
1: And everything was going fine.
0: <laughs> <laughs> everything was going fine.
2: That's a very that's a very common occurrence um when a dad is a preacher and that gets handed down to at least one of the 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 children, I guess, and it's almost like this natural.
0: What well, was the family business, right? Uh, like yeah, that's yeah. just yeah, <laughs> yeah. You're
2: being handed the family business, and yeah. and that was the lens that you were that that you had that you saw life through.
0: Yeah, yeah, it definitely was, and you know, and in college, I would say my faith deepened and strengthened, and I was all in. You know, I was drawn to the part of Jesus that was about love, and it was about loving everyone. That's the part that I think I was, you know, the Jesus I felt like I that was taught to me was that, and I, I I, tried my best to be loving. I did. Cliff, you talked about this in your episode, but I, you know, I think I had uh, different parts of my theology that I felt really strongly about, would argue about. Uh, I remember in college, um, it was like the reform movement, and so Calvinism was a hot topic, and I, I quickly decided where I was on that.
2: Uh, where were you so on I, that? You know,
0: I I was... Uh, I, I think I was a two-point Calvinist, uh, something like that. So I I didn't, I didn't believe that everything was. I didn't believe in predestination that all these decisions had been made for us because it to me that just seemed to make things pointless. But anyway, you know, was just one of the things that I was you know felt really passionately about. And right around then, I would say this is probably you know we talk about what what's that first thread, and I think the the very first thread for me when I, I start to examine the sweater that I'm in. It was mid to late 90s, early 2000s, kind of a church planting movement was taking off mm-hmm. and people were rebelling against the institution of the church a little bit, especially younger people. Everything felt stuffy and, you know, uptight and traditional. Yeah. It's when you started to see like traditional services and contemporary For services sure. at churches. Uh, and like um, house church. Oh, yeah, yeah. That, that was a huge. Yeah. Th- so, so like baby steps, though. So first was... Yeah contemporary services at mm. church, you know, and you might even have Lord, uh, the traditional service. At different <laughs> times. Lord, I love to yeah. sing your
2: praises. <laughs> so you have, you
0: have, you have, big church stays the same, right? Big yes, church stays big church. the traditional service in the sanctuary, but you might have this contemporary service a little later and it's in the fellowship hall and, you know, they have an electric guitar and drums and that kind of thing. Like
1: I remember the first time that people clapped after we sang a song because it was just like you didn't clap or like people started raising their hands while they were worshiping. And it was like, Oh, Southern Baptist. I don't know.
0: I know. Did you have a Pentecostal visitor that
2: day? What was (laughs) was going on? A little, a little charismatic. Yeah. A little charisma thrown into the mix. Like in
1: that time period, you know, the late nineties, early two thousands.
2: Yeah. Did you have a favorite, um, late nineties, uh,
0: praise and worship song? Well, I mean, I, it's probably the most cliche one I can only imagine, right? Like, didn't everybody... <laughs> was that late 90s? Lose It About yeah, That Song? Yeah. I, it's possible it was early 2000s, it, but I really think it was late, late, late 90s. It's
2: it's it's
0: all a blur. Yeah, but, I, you know, like the the music part definitely, you know, it changed. And so super into like the worship movement and yeah. Matt Redman and Chris Tomlin and, you know, that yeah. whole thing. We were we were coming back to the heart of worship, and I was you know I, I was all about it like and that was me examining my sweater and realizing this one is, I don't I don't enjoy the stuffiness and of the traditional, you know aspects of this sweater. Um, I, I still believe uh, in the core of the gospel. I still believe that you know Jesus is God's son. Uh, I still believe in realizing the kingdom of God here on earth, but I think it can be done differently than we're doing it in traditional churches right now. And so one summer I got a job in college working at a church plant, did that, uh, you know, and so that my shift kind of, kind of changed. Um, and that's what I was more into then. It was like moving churches out of, you know, out of what they were and like business meetings or growths and all of that, like the business (laughs) of church. We want to get away from that. We want to get back to like an act style church. That's, you know, just people coming together where two or three are gathered in my name, that kind of thing. So that was, I, I think, I think that was the first time I really start started to examine my own faith was when that shift happened. So, so that was really, that was really the first time that I started to examine the sweater that I'm wearing and, you know, saw, okay, well, there's some things about this that need to change, but the core tenets of the faith, uh, right. you know, it was, it was a Bible based faith still. I still believed in, uh, the inerrancy of that book and still believed that Jesus Christ was, uh, you know, the way to the father. All all of those things remain the same. It was just I, I maybe changed the color of the sweater, I tie dyed it or something like that. But you know, still still basically, it's composed of the same material. Right. Yeah.
2: It was a cooler, hipper style. It was
1: it was sweater. like grunge sweater because that's the nineties. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Yes, Grunge it was...
2: Grunge would be a little looser around the the shoulders right like you got rid of <laughs> mm-hmm. the turtle neck. yeah
0: yeah yeah
1: so then what happens
0: so then uh you know so I'm riding that wave the church planting wave the worship movement wave all of that are
1: you still in college or are you like yeah so I, so
0: I'm, I'm still in college at this point and okay leading towards the end of college I I, I did drag my college experience out quite for extra time I did some I'm with I did you. some bonus college time by the end End of it. Uh, I'm I'm fully anticipating uh, a job in a church when I'm done with when I'm done with school. And then right before my last semester, the uh, the representative from Lifeway came to my college's campus and they were interviewing for positions at the Fuge camps in the summer. So Centrifuge and M Fuge were the two Mission Fuge and Centrifuge, which if you if you grew up in the Southern Baptist world, you probably have experienced uh, one of those camps at some point. And I interviewed there, and I got uh, offered a job at M-fuge, um that summer, and it was going to be in Charleston, South Carolina. And so I took it and went there, and then um, that's where I ended up meeting my wife, Lindsay. So Lindsay was a fellow counselor, and you're not allowed to date during <laughs> camp, so uh, we didn't. But we Gotta uh, those rules. We knew by the end of camp. <laughs> <laughs> we we knew by the end of camp that we were going to, you know, keep this thing going. Uh, she had she had a job lined up actually at the end of that where she was gonna finish camp go home for a couple weeks and then she was leaving for india for two years uh to be a missionary and by the end of summer it was just kind of clear like there's something good there's something uh you know special about our relationship and it seemed like it was significant enough that she canceled india got a job um, after camp because uh, she had just graduated so she was like a real-life adult, and then I had to finish up my school, so I finished that up and then got married, uh, moved in, worked. We actually, as a married couple, worked huge the next year as well in Colorado, and then it was like, okay, where are we going? What, what's next? And the next logical step seemed to be okay if I'm going to have a career in the church. The next logical step is is seminary, and so that's what we did. We packed up, and after the summer— Where'd you go? Uh, when I, moved, I went to Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary in Fort Worth, while we're there uh figure out there's a way that uh there's a degree if you want to be a missionary and I never really thought about it before but Lindsay had definitely she felt called to that and so I was willing I was you know open to the idea and thought okay yeah that could be good um I didn't know internationally how my sarcasm would play so I didn't <laughs> know if that would, <laughs> would work for me because it's kind of uh
1: you were being mindful <laughs>
0: I was, I was like, okay, career wise, that's how I win people over. Uh, <laughs> what am I going to do if I can't do that in a different language? Uh, yeah, so we, so that's the plan. So I'm getting um, a master's in, I think, missiology, mm-hmm. which seems like a made up word and might actually be, but you can get a degree in it. What and, it, and what is that? It, I, missiology is the study of missions. Oh, basically, that makes sense. Yeah, that was kind so, of a yeah. question. No, it, it's not. Because it, I mean, it's a word that, yeah, I'm, does seem made up. So that was the plan. And while I was in seminary, I would say this is where the first thread uh, was pulled that was more than like a just a, a shape mm-hmm. thing. Before I think all the, th- you know, any thread I pulled or any time I examined my faith, especially like comparing grown up traditional church to like a less structured thing that was just talking about the shape of the sweater really or, or the the look of the sweater this was me examining the actual fabric of the sweater and that was uh the christian response to homosexuality because and, and i don't i can't pinpoint the moment i started to think about this but i realized that there was a, a discrepancy in my personal feelings about this issue and what i'm being taught and what i'm being told I knew, okay, I've got to find a way to reconcile these two things because I believe people are born gay, and I believe that a person should be able to choose to be in a relationship with the person they're attracted to. Like, you know, it just...
2: So, okay, your upbringing does not seem consistent with that um, perspective. I mean, were you not taught that homosexuality was sin? Did you know gay people in in your life as a child or even in high school or college
0: gay friends in college but yeah i i can't i i don't know i don't remember specific i think it's baked in yeah like your view on homosexuality i don't remember specific sermons or lessons about it hmm. uh, i
1: don't yeah i don't feel like anyone never really talked about it but if right. it was brought up it was like well there's some verses in the bible
0: yeah yeah <laughs> exactly like that
2: so when it was talked about it was usually maybe in the middle of a sermon where the pastor's just reading it as a list of sins that are within the passage and then has a more general sermon about sin maybe um i feel like it would have been brought up like in discussions about gay classmates or or something
0: I don't remember a ton of conversations about it in high school. I'm sure I made a lot of really stupid, really offensive jokes. um, Because it it seemed like this thing that didn't affect me. Like it had no overlap in my life. And I never considered the fact that, you know, someone in our friend circle could be gay. Like that never occurred to me as a high schooler. In college, met some people who were gay. And I I don't remember the moment that my thinking changed. Or I don't remember a big revelation on that. It was just... I, I don't know. I, I felt like the most Christ-like yeah. thing to do would be to love everybody. And it, it did not, you know, there was a divide between what I believe personally and doctrine of this this faith that I'm a part of. And so I felt like, well, I need to do some research here because I need to see, basically, are there loopholes? Can I find a way to believe both of these things? And so I remember going to seminary, and I remember checking out uh, from the library like uh, 12 books. I I, based, I went through the catalog, any anything they had that mentioned homosexuality, I checked it out. And so I'm checking these books out, and I remember I went and put the stack down on the counter. They didn't have self-checkout at the time. And so this this guy's this guy's checking my books out, and he like takes first title, scans it, gives it to me, takes next, scans it, and then his hands get a little slower, and he's like looking at the titles, and then he's looking at the whole stack of. He's and by the end. He's not even making eye contact with me. He just kind of shoved the books across the counter to me. Um, Interesting. And so I, I did, I did a lot of research on that because I really needed those two things to be compatible. I needed for two reasons. Uh, one, this is who I am. This is what I do. I'm, I've grown up Baptist. I am Baptist. I call myself. I'm a follower of Christ. But and I, I didn't recognize how influenced that was by you know, how Baptist my lens was, but it definitely was. So, well, explain
2: it because you, you said you were looking for loopholes. So were you looking for loopholes in order to protect your view that you have had for a long time of the Bible being inerrant? So you were trying to figure out how can I keep the Bible inerrant? What are the, I believe this about homosexuality. I believe that the Bible is inerrant. How do I, what loopholes can I find like how do you that reconcile? reconciles these yeah. two to keep the well, Bible I, I was
0: look, I, I was looking for loopholes yeah. the other way. That's what I thought. I wasn't worried about inerrancy. I was I was like, okay, how, how can homosexuality be okay. be okay? What can I find that will tell me, yeah. and I can argue this point with people, that homosexuality is okay? Because I think the way we are treating homosexuals right now is wrong, and I think it will do harm to the church if we continue this. So that's where I was.
2: So you say that you were, you know, finding loopholes and trying to reconcile things, right? So, I mean, what was your view of the Bible at that time?
0: Yeah. I I mean, you know, I, I believe that the Bible was the word of God. Um, I believe that the Bible was the inerrant, infallible word of God. That's what I was told, but I did start to, you know, you have this tight fist closed around your beliefs and, I remember I had a hermeneutics professor in seminary who talked about how uh, there are a few things that you're gonna hold tightly with that fist, but there are some other things you're gonna hold with the when you know a looser grip on and I was I was sensing that in myself I'm holding a looser grip on some things and I was more open to uh, the Bible maybe not being not taken literally for sure you know uh, it was like okay, the world probably wasn't made in seven days thoughts like that. And so you're relaxed, you know, I, I was relaxing a little in the rigidity of my thinking there. So when I'm, I'm now faced with this thing where, okay, I believe it's okay to be gay. And, uh, the Bible says that men shouldn't lie with other men, whatever, whatever. And how do I reconcile these two things? Because, um, I need to both, you know, this is a part of who I am. Uh, this faith is a part of who I am. I need to, but also I had no plan B career wise. (laughs) Uh, This is my path. So I need, I have to make this fit. So it was really honestly less about like fitting biblical inerrancy as much as it was self-preservation because, Mm -hmm. you know, I sucked at school. Like I I didn't, I didn't set myself up to have a career other than this. And so I I have to make this work. You know, I'm married at that point uh, and and I'm in school for this. I can't just like it would be just such a radical departure if I was just like, if I, if I couldn't, if I couldn't work these things out. Uh, and so um, I'm doing the reading, I'm looking for loopholes. And that's when I, I really got into uh, the idea of things being interpreted through the lens of historical context, rather than reading a passage and applying it to my life right now, I, I probably need to see when was that written? Why was it written? What was the original intent of that message? Uh, And so I started looking at that, and that's when, Cliff, you actually talked about this in the episode, Uh, you know, Paul, uh, I I read one one of the books I read talked about how Paul really didn't have an understanding of, you know, this mature, monogamous, uh, same-sex relationship as much as he was speaking against acts that might have happened in pagan rituals, that kind of thing. So he wasn't against homosexuality, he was against the pagan rituals and these things happening as a part of that. And it was, it was what I could do to make sense of these two, these two things in my head, these two things that I needed to, to fit together that weren't fitting together. So that was like one of the things I focused on in seminary was kind of figuring that out. And and I feel like I, I got to a place with it where I was comfortable with it. I was like, okay, well, that's what, how people are interpreting that is wrong. It's not, I don't know if I believed the Bible was wrong. I just, I thought I had to. Uh, tweak a little. Um, is there
2: is there a sense then, uh, during this time that you were almost becoming like a, a closeted progressive Christian?
0: Yeah, definitely. Because what had happened was there was a big. Um, I don't know much about the history of this. I'll just be. I'll be honest about that. But there was a split within the Southern Baptist Convention, where it was the Southern Baptist Convention now, and then the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship, the CBF, and hmm. the CBF crowd was more uh, open to they were holding on to things with a looser grip. Uh, they were more open to things being interpreted differently. Yeah, so so I was I was definitely starting to um have a more progressive view of things within yeah. progressive meaning within the world of, you know. because you still Baptist needed a, you
2: still needed to get a degree and 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 get a paycheck. So.
0: And most of the jobs available were through SBC churches, not through cooperative Baptist fellowship churches, and so you right. know, I'm having that conflict there where uh, this might, this might be a teaching or this might be a part of my, uh, belief system that I just have to kind of not be so outspoken about. Uh, so that was, um, that was seminary. And then at the end of seminary at the degree culminated in two years served overseas as a missionary. And so Lindsay and I chose our country. We were heading to, uh, we were heading to Southeast Asia in order to get there you do six weeks at uh like a missionary training place and so it's all these people going all all over the world who are all leaving at the same time come together for six weeks and you're housed together in the in uh, these units and you're there for six weeks it's pretty intense you're in a lot of classes you're you know learning what life's going to be like functioning in a third world country that kind of thing And the issue there, so yes, I am becoming a little more progressive in my thinking. And I remember I checked out a Michael Moore book from the library, and it was like, dude, where's my president or something? (laughs) Oh my
2: gosh, now that is, (laughs)
1: that's a huge
0: step. It was, um, but to me, it was really coming back to what's the most Christ-like way to treat people here? And I feel like maybe the church is missing it with with this issue in particular. I was going to ask,
2: did you have have like a... um, for lack of a better way to say a progressive christian role model that you that was speaking to you on some level no
0: (laughs) i had my dad who he he was just a smart guy he knew a lot about theology he knew a lot about scripture and but he wouldn't spoon feed us stuff you know like he would make us anytime we would anytime i would ask specifically when i would say ask a theological question he would put it back on me and make me go figure out what I believed. And, you know, that, that openness to that and refusing to like, just give us the answers. I think that that led to me being able to kind of explore a little more. And then, uh, I would say my mom's definitely more, you know, she was teaching at the university. Um, she had friends from all over the world. She was, she was more, I think, progressive. Yeah, you know. So you were I think you were just, pretty
2: independent with with, yeah. with with this. This was an independent uh, revelation.
0: Yeah, yeah, it was. While we're there, while we're at the at you know at the at boot camp for missionaries, <laughs> the big issue, the big topic, was about women in ministry and the woman's role. And this is coming off of me, kind of you know I've had this. 180 I think from maybe not what I necessarily always believed but definitely from what I was told to believe in in regards to homosexuality and and I am becoming politically a little more progressive like slowly like the needle was just kind of starting to move a little I you know I I'd always identified as conservative republican just because that's you know that's the world I grew up in but now I'm like oh wait there you know there's like there's good points over there and Uh, with some of these issues, especially, it seems like they're more compassionate and compassion is like the heart of my faith. And so, so I'm taking this new awakening I'm having with me to this very conservative place with very conservative people. Uh And we're, we're housed together in these units. And there's a large contingency of people from a different seminary. And we got along really well. We're all getting to know each other really well. But slowly this issue of women in leadership positions and this women as uh, partners, not partners, <laughs> oh. worse, like what's the what's the uh, word I'm looking for? Like Helpers, like submissive, like the yeah. submissive wife, helpers. Yeah. Helpers is actually yeah one, I think, yeah. in the wording that that's a big issue. And I'm like, this seems so outdated, like this thinking is from the 1950s. What are we doing? We're going to turn so many people off. And, and I was in some, I I was having like a real crisis here because I don't know what to do. Uh, I know I'm going to stay and I know we're going to go overseas because that's the plan. And like I said, no backup plan, no skills, you know, nothing I can walk into church is the family business. I, I, there is no fallback. And so I have to do this, but now even more so what I believe personally is in even more conflict with what I'm being told I need to believe. And I thought within the SBC there was uh priesthood of the believer, and you had you know there were there was room for different opinions on things, but it really started to narrow down, and there really started to be less room well and, and
2: at this point were you married?
0: Yeah, yeah, so Lindsay and I are there together
2: and was this an issue trying to align y'all's uh beliefs or was there was that a struggle or were you I guys was in I mean sync? that's
0: a good question, but she and I were really in sync, and we we were really in sync through the. Through the whole process uh
1: that's nice because i was idea. gonna <laughs> ask that question i, I mean, like, maybe one day Lindsay will be a guest on the podcast because it would be interesting to hear her you know the other side of that for sure
0: yeah yeah it definitely would but we 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 saw things the same way through this time and I mean, she's a strong, independent woman. You know, <laughs> yeah. like she she doesn't need me for anything. She doesn't need to sub- be submissive. But of me. a
2: similar faith background as you, correct? Yeah. So she yeah. definitely had her own pulling of threads at some point.
0: Yep. Which yep. happened, luckily, to, I guess, to
2: coincide with yours.
0: Luckily, right? Like I, it would have been yeah. so very different had it not gone down this way. And and she and I are probably in different places now as far as the real specifics of what we believe. But for I mean, we're we're very close. Yeah to you know to each other we match we match with our beliefs so women in ministry thing comes up and i'm really starting to question who am i like is this really is this the right place for me but i'm scared to do anything else because i don't know what else i would do so we we stay there That becomes a super hot issue. Let's get women out of leadership positions in any church around the world. And let's make sure wives know they need to be submissive to their husbands. And we go to, we go to Southeast Asia and it's, it's not necessarily that it it was being talked about. It just, it was clear. Okay. They also believe this as well. And these are the people I'm working with. And Lindsay and I really struggled to find our place. Uh, And I, I'm, I'm increasingly, uh, you know, those things that I was holding with a tight fist, uh, I'm increasingly loosening up that grip on a lot of things. And it gets to the point where we had jobs lined up in Rome, which would have been amazing. And so we were gonna, we were gonna leave Southeast Asia, come back home for a few months, and then go take a full-time position in Rome. And right about that time, we are given the if, if we want to do this, everybody has to sign the Baptist faith and message. I actually pulled it up so I could Ooh, read it to you. This was where... Intrigued. was the beginning of the mm-hmm. end of my faith. And so this section is what we... Re- like, we, we just couldn't do it. We couldn't mm-hmm. sign. It says that the marriage relationship models the way God relates to his people. A husband is to love his wife as Christ loved the church. He has a God-given responsibility to provide for, to protect, and to lead his family. A wife is to submit herself graciously to the servant leadership of her husband, even as the church willingly submits to the headship of Christ. She, being in the image of God, is in her husband, as is her husband, and thus equal to him, has the God-given responsibility to respect her husband and to serve as his helper in managing the household and nurturing the next generation. So, the idea that a woman's role is... You what, know, and
2: what year was this again?
0: This was uh, early 2000s, so... Right. This would have been 05, 06, right around there. And that, the fact that I, I couldn't in good conscience sign that, sure, I would love to go live in Rome and, you know, get paid to learn Italian and
1: hang out with people. But <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, exactly. Um, but I could, Lindsay and I couldn't do it. We couldn't sign. We couldn't agree to that because we knew in our hearts we did not believe that and
1: so now what what yeah you can't sign the contract but you don't have a backup plan so where do we go from here
0: we free fall (laughs) we just jump out of the plane without a parachute so it was this really scary moment I remember calling one of my friends probably bought a card at the market and put some minutes on so I could call the U.S. and I'm talking to him and thinking out loud and uh Scott and I are having that conversation and, and and I'm like yeah I think think this is it. I think I'm actually we're actually gonna do this. Like I'm gonna walk away from this this plan uh, of being a career minister because uh with no backup. I thought, okay, there's some things I like. There's probably some things I could do. I originally started out getting an education degree before I ended up switching to something else. And I always since ninth grade, since I watched Poets Society, I always wanted to be an English teacher and so I thought, okay, now's the chance to do that. Let me pursue that. Mm. And we leave early. We leave earlier than we were we were supposed to, and we come back. And I, had one of the one of the people I met in Virginia, had uh, told me he could introduce me to uh, his dad, who was a superintendent in Texas. And so, uh, through him, got an interview, uh, got a job at a school. So in two thousand six, cancel this missionary ministry life and begin my career as a teacher. And for the first time, uh, you know that for as long as I could remember my paycheck was not going to be tied to my theology. So I was now free to, whoa, I, I can actually explore now. And so we we came back and we went straight back to the church we'd been a part of before and things just weren't the same and it was different. Uh, and they'd had some leadership changes and I don't know, it's, it seemed to not fit where we were. And so we, we did some, we did exploring for, you know, like two or three years of visiting churches and I would look at their about page. I would try to see if they had any woman in a position higher than children's minister, like, uh, because that would kind of inform me as to, you know, how, how progressive their, their views were, which was increasingly important to me and looked at, uh, you know, I would, I would look at what they said about scripture. Do they say that the Bible is the inerrant word of God or do they, are they using phrases like in its original form or is in the original manuscripts? Um, like, is there room for uh, theology that's interpreted through a lens of historical context? Because that's also what I'm looking for at the time. And this goes on for several years of us trying to find our place and really never feeling comfortable. And the whole time, I'm just looking at issue after issue. And the the threat of inerrancy is a big one, because once you start pulling that, once once one thing is open to interpretation, they're all open to interpretation, and then yes. you start looking at the formation of the canon, how the Bible was put together, and you look at, you know, ways it was translated over the years, and
2: which is why many are afraid to even right. look at the thread and 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 touch it, well, you know, and and yeah. I feel
1: like it was kind. Of, I don't know if it was directly said, but like I felt like if you, I I always f- heard if you don't believe this then how can that be true like you know when mm-hmm. you're starting to deconstruct pieces of the bible and so you're kind of taught that if you start pulling one thread that like you can't believe any of it and yeah that is not right i don't think
2: i i you know i find it interesting because you you talked about like a specific thing like it wasn't until you walked away from the profession that you could see things clearer right that you could take more of an honest and genuine approach to your faith and in scripture and and i had that exact same like my when when i came out and no longer had to hide you know i could then take a clearer look at 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 scripture and, and and my faith i i think that's interesting i i think that's 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 common i guess you know something very specific that people hide behind in my case or you in a way you your career your whole future was based on this and which caused you to not see i, I don't know i mean i'm with I'm you saying? on
1: that too because i was like leading worship and once i stopped and got out of that and decided to go into teaching it was similar like oh okay let me explore this a yeah.
0: Little bit. yeah and that's what i did i explored uh, and, and realized that I, I was left with nothing and that I was hanging on too tightly, you know, I wasn't holding any, everything was, was kind of up for exploration at this point, And I couldn't find anything that I could, I could hang my hat on, uh, that I, that I could anchor to That's
1: scary. That's a scary time.
0: It's terrifying.
1: I was just thinking like, I think, there's a misconception of people who are deconstructing or who've pulled threads that, like, we, we just gave in to the earthly desires or we just uh, gave in to the easy way. But I don't think any of us wanted to, to do this necessarily. You know what I mean? It was like we had to to stay true to the core of our beliefs.
0: It would be easier for me if I could still right. believe in everything I grew up believing in. It would have been easier for me when I was watching my dad yeah. die to know that I was gonna see him again. That would have been easier, but that would that it wasn't it wouldn't have been honest with you know where I am and what I really believe. Uh, it would have been easier for me um, to stay in that world. It would have been easier to, you know, move to Rome and and get my housing paid for and to do have cool experiences. But it just, like, yeah, I, I, it was, I, I saw my sweater for what it was, and it was time to take it off, and that was it. and um, let my pasty skin glow.
2: <laughs> I once had somebody tell me, um, long before it came out, this was years ago, we were just having a conversation, a Christian conversation, and homosexuality got brought up, and, and she said, you know, she just talked about it being a sin and such a stronghold. And and now I can see what the stronghold really is. The stronghold is actually that needing something, needing to have hope in, in the afterlife, and that's a stronghold. Uh, everything that a person knows, their faith, that's the stronghold. Um, and I just think a lot of people get harmed on earth so that people can feel better about what happens after earth i just think it's kind of backwards
1: yeah yeah i'm with you
0: and megan you're right too about it being scary because that was that was who i was that was my identity that's that's how i i derived my self-worth from how i functioned within that world and i've just left that world and so you know i i now have to redefine who i am and because we'd gone back to a place we lived before when I was in seminary, when I was in the club and we were still trying to kind of, you know, find our, our church home and all of that going through that. Uh, we were running in, you know, we, we were in circles with these people who knew us before they knew that life. And so we were, we were in this weird place where our beliefs don't really line up with the beliefs of all these people that we're hanging out with, but we're not ready to talk about them yet. Um, because that's how they knew me. And that's like, uh, like I said, that's how I derive my self worth, and so I, I don't want to. You know, part of me feels guilty for leaving this because you know it, that's what I always thought was truth, and now I don't believe that. But I'm, um, I still felt judged on that standard, and yeah, so it, it caused me to really not know, you know, who I was anymore. I, I've I've lost my identity here, and so I'm I'm having to rebuild everything and and kind of weave together some new sweater, and through the process of that, got super into like looking at um, the creation story and science and evolution. And I got to the point where aspects of Christianity, uh, the things that required faith, like, yeah, this doesn't make sense. Like if you think about it logically, you just have to have faith that it's true. Uh, Those things became insurmountable for me. Like I could no longer bridge that divide. And so that's when, I realized I don't believe this anymore. And, and I, yeah, I was, I was, that part of my life was done. Um, and what was left was me growing up with, you love God, you love your neighbor. Those two things that impacted who I am and how I operate and how I interact with people. And so I can't ever separate myself from that. But as far as believing in the truth of any of the things that I'd grown up believing, uh, that was done. I was, I was, done with that part of my life and it was uh it wasn't necessarily freeing yeah. and liberating it was just yeah. kind of scary like just like and unknown
1: out there to, that's how i felt anyway
0: 100 anchorless and, right like because i'd always yeah. been anchored to that and now i don't have an anchor anymore and
1: that almost that i feel like with deconstructing there's like this in between time or this i bet I don't know, I'm sure there's people who have written about it, but, like, there's definitely, like, a bitterness stage. There's, like, a s- scared stage. But, yeah, the idea of I would rather not know than just cling to this idea because I felt safe and right, you know? Yeah. Ugh. I'm feeling it. I'm yeah. feeling the feels again. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. I mean, yeah. Mike, you and I just talked about. Like it, it was. It would have been easier to do that, honestly, and just keep thinking the way denial, I was thinking, right? It's whatever. it's
2: stages of grief. Yeah. Essentially, is what we're talking yeah. about. And I'm definitely myself. I'm still in the anger and the bitterness, for sure.
1: And I think maybe you and I met Nathan during some bitterness time at least for me i don't know about you yeah for both of us right
0: yeah yeah so that's how our friendship started (laughs) we could be bitter (laughs) together by bonding over the (laughs) bonding over the bitter yeah it
2: is a tough balance because i don't want anybody to think personally for me that i'm challenging people's faith especially faith in the afterlife Mm -hmm. um just for the sake of challenging it you know what i'm saying like you know i've said i've said if if the bible if your faith helps you and and brings you joy and hope now and in the afterlife i think that's great my issue is when it harms other people like a tenet of your faith harms other people and i think it gets lost because people think that i'm just challenging faith in general and just taking away people's Wanting to take people away, people's yeah. hope of an after afterlife and and their joy, and and that's not a, all it. But I've I've encountered that a lot recently, where people are confusing the two, confusing the the two, and I I'm sure some of it is due to my messaging, um, mm-hmm. but unfortunately the anger kind of gets in the way of perhaps like clearer messaging, that and sarcasm,
0: and there's a lot of I mean. I mean- there's a lot of justifiable anger in the process for people for, you know, for all of us, for different reasons. Like the, we're, there's, there's reasons to be angry. Um, but I do think you get past that at some point and you move on to just a more accepting, this is this, I, I'm just going to live in a gray area. I'm, I'm going to have to get comfortable with not knowing things and, like Megan said, you feel a little lost because you were anchored to the truth and now there is no truth to anchor to. You haven't found anything, you know, you haven't found the thing yet. It, I didn't replace one belief system with another. I replaced uh, this belief system with openness to everything. Like, you know, and so there, there's no template now for me yeah. to kind of, you know, navigate things. There's no script. <laughs> so, Nate, I mean, you've
2: alluded to... uh I don't like labels, and I know you're not crazy about labels, but where would you say you are now in, in your faith? Can you label it?
0: I No, I can't. Uh, seeker, that's a label. I'm not necessarily seeking a replacement for what I had, mm-hmm. uh, but I'm open to, I don't know, I'm open to what's out there. There are things I know, like I can't, be- I can't believe in things that can't be backed up scientifically. Like I've realized that about myself now, I can't. Um, it doesn't mean I don't believe there's anything metaphysical out there or anything like that. It's just uh, that's hard for me to uh, to accept. Um, so as far as labels go, right. And when I was in that anger phase, I was very clear. I'm an atheist. This is you know I do not believe in God anymore. I, I don't necessarily. There's some spectrum. I don't know. Agnostic yeah. to atheism. I don't know. I'm I'm somewhere on that spectrum, but I'm also like, I'm, I've i been through enough, and I've had enough changes, and my thinking has evolved mm-hmm. so much over the, the course of my life, even in the last, like, few years, that I'm not going to write off anything, you know, because I'm going to be open to things, um, but I, I'm not a Christian. I don't claim that. Uh, I don't think I believe that there's a God. I don't think I, I believe that there's uh, some grand designer for this, but I'm also uncertain you know and, and so basically I've I've just decided to live in in the uncertainty and live in the gray area and be okay with that and I just try to be as nice a person as I can be to people that's kind of my that's my morality now is kindness
2: just as your friend I'm telling you this that I think that's very consistent with just who you are as a person and when i when i hear your story and when i hear the specific reasons right when like when you pull a thread it it usually pertains to people and and loving and and wanting to be kind to people and not oppressing them so whether we're talking about you know the the church's teaching on homosexuality and and how that oppresses gay people or the church's teaching on women and how that oppresses women—that's always that always seems to be the common thing that gets you to pull the thread. And I think that's very, if I can use the word, honorable and just. And you know, so thank you for being you, Nate. Well,
0: the world thanks. needs more I, of you.
2: I don't. I don't think the world needs more Christians. I think the world needs more Nates.
0: Uh, that's that's a very sweet thing to say. I, I have a hard time. I have a pretty negative view of myself. Uh, I beat myself, you know. I think a lot of people do. It. A lot of introspective people, you beat yourself up for conversations that happened fifteen years ago, and I still do that. And there, there are times when I was an asshole to people, and I, and I hate it, and it still eats yeah. me up. Um, yeah, uh, but but I do. I mean, yeah, I try to be. A, I try to be a nice guy. I feel like that's the that's what I can offer the world. It does complicate like relationships from different eras. Lindsay and I, you know, I moved a lot with my family when I was a kid. Lindsay and I moved a lot. And so I have these eras and there's like when we moved to D.C. from then, I was completely out of the Christian world at that point. So people I know there don't know that Mm -hmm. part of me. Everything that predates that move, Mm -hmm. there's relationships who knew me as that person. And so it's it's awkward. And I've avoided a lot of conversations with people because I don't like letting people down. You know, I don't I don't want people to be disappointed right. in, in me. Uh are they gonna yeah. be
1: listening to this podcast? <laughs> I don't know.
0: Even when I shared this on Facebook, yeah. I was really specific about who I shared it with because I don't have a lot of confidence in who I am and, and so I don't want people yeah, I need people to like <laughs> me. I, I do, and so I don't wanna yeah, I I don't wanna disappoint those people. So in a way you're
2: kind of in the closet still? <laughs> huh?
0: Yeah. Yeah. With it, it, certain yeah. groups. Yeah. Yeah, with certain groups, definitely. Yeah, I, I haven't been honest with people in my life. And I think uh this situation in particular creates some weird dynamics. Um and I and I know I'm not alone in that. I know there are other For people. Sure. Um if you're listening in that you please email so I don't <laughs> feel so alone. Uh but yeah, that's uh that's where I am. I think I answered your where I am mm-hmm. question. Um I don't know and I'm okay not knowing. I don't feel like I have to find something to believe um i think i just i'm open to experiences yeah like
1: you don't want to like you said you don't want to try to recreate a new version of what you had because that was a you know a lot of what a lot of us did was hold on to things so tight that we had to break free from that and now you don't want to hold on to your new ideas so tight or you won't be open to the next idea that you have
0: (laughs) exactly Exactly. I do wonder this, and I don't know if the two of you have had this thought. I wonder, had I grown up in a more progressive church, a more pre- more progressive theology, uh, would I still have had, you know, wh- where would I be now? Like, what would be my belief? Would I be close to the idea of God now? Would I be more open to the idea of God? Because I think people who grow up in a more inclusive church setting— probably don't have the struggles that, you know, that you have when you grow up in in the evangelical world.
2: Well, I guess I have two things to say to that. The first being, I think that that's what happens because progressive churches tend to not hold the Bible to such a high standard. They they don't and and so my thing is if if your faith is in the Bible, uh then your faith can go away because it's it's just, you know. So I think that's that's one thing. The other thing is as I've just said, um, you pulled threads usually because of the church's teaching that oppresses. And in progressive churches, you don't find that as much, I, I think, to some extent. So I would argue maybe that you probably would still be in the faith had you um, grown up in the progressive church.
0: Yeah, I guess that's uh, that's possible, and if there'd never been a, a contract to sign, who knows, right? But anyway, that's uh, that's pretty much me.
1: Uh, that was good. That was good thinking about the early 2000s. I feel like there was like a contract era in <laughs> I don't know maybe it was Southern Baptist Convention because next week when I share my story, I also I think I talk about some contracts so
2: that seems yeah. to have been a reoccurring yeah've we've, we've spoken to several people and, and I know I have where. That contract gets brought up, and, and I think you're right. There was an error. It wasn't like one year. There was like this three- or four-year period where the uh, SBC really um, tightened the reins on that, right? Well, they were trying to weed out people like us <laughs> yeah. and mission accomplished, <laughs> I guess.
0: Good on them. Very, very successful campaign. All right, well, uh, I just want to say thanks for everybody uh, for listening. Well, hopefully, we're, we're like... 10 listeners yeah. at this point. Pretty sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. Drop us a line if you have some feedback for us, anything you'd like us to, to hear us talk about. We may or may not talk about it, but you can sure tell us what you'd like to hear. And uh, uh, hopefully
2: we'll see you back next week when uh, Megan shares her, her sweater story.
0: Exciting. All right. <laughs> yeah. Cue that, cue that outro music. Love you guys. Thanks for thanks for letting me talk so much. Love you, Nate. Love you, Megan. Love you, Cliff. Yay. Love you guys. All right. See you next time.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Perfect.
1: (laughs) (laughs) This is why we have a podcast.